take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you may be going, weren't we just there for two weeks in a row? Yes. I, um, if you have good eyes, <laughs> what does it say at the top? Done. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's you had two exclamation marks and a question and an exclamation mark and a question mark. I wrote in my notes, what have I done? Uh, yeah, I want to teach this series on women's role. That's gonna be great. We'll have lots of fun. And and then I um, and I did this six years ago. I'll just get my old notes out and I'll I'll just teach those without any worrying or preparation. And I started reading this and I started looking at my old notes and trying to figure out what I meant then six years ago and then um What's this about angels and the glory of man, woman is man and man shouldn't have long hair and, and should they just shave themselves and thought, oh my goodness, what in the world was I ever thinking? Um, but this is important. It's really important. And... Um, just pray that somehow in the midst of these, I don't know, I don't want to say crazy, in the midst of these complicated phrases and things, there's something here that's really important. God put it here. And, and I actually believe, and I, and, I, and I think our discussion will take us there, I, I actually believe it goes all the way back to creation. And I really believe whatever is in creation is, is foundational. There's some sacred stones that were laid and found in creation. And in this fascinating discussion of marriage and uh, men and women and gender distinctions and gender roles um, in all this, this is cultural, cultural, cultural. He just annihilates that argument. He goes back and, and makes his appeal to creation. There's something important about putting the planets in place and the and stars and the animals and the sky and the, and the seas and, the, and, and a man and a woman in marriage and oneness and, and God's creation of man and woman and in, in all this discussion he, there, there's just some, some sacred foundational stones that relate in creation for society and if we start to chip away who's sitting next to you Jordan there okay just want to make sure I take I don't like wearing glasses so that's why I take them all the time I, I think in culture we're just eroding and chipping away at some of these foundational stones and what happens to a society when that which holds it up is just broken off um, so so even though this is this is this is complicated um, there, there's some deeper principles here that that I believe and I hope that we, I, we can figure out. And I'm sort of some grateful. I have some brilliant, spiritually mature, intellectual minds here that even if I can't make sense of it, I'll just ask lots of questions and lean on you. This is um, revisiting the theme of women's role uh, in the church. We've talked about this before. I did, I, I did a series six years ago and 
I'm sure this is not the first time you've ever heard this discussed, and I'm going to guess 50 years from now. I, I think in heaven we'll stop talking about this, perhaps. Um, but as long as we are human and as long as we have our differences, um, we'll be battling with things, and we always need to be going back to Scripture and say, what is God's wisdom on this? And one of the reasons for doing this is because we have some newer members in our church that weren't here six years ago, and um, they're walking in the door with some Church of Christ heritage and other churches, and we're, you know, we're so autonomous that we don't all follow a certain cookie cutters. And so, wow, Eastside's different than the church I was at. Why do you have women doing this, doing that? And there's some curiosity, and, and so we want to share with you biblically why uh, we believe what we're doing is, is according to Scripture. And so in respect to our newer members, but also... Um, there's constantly questions and discussions over this. And, um, and so we respect that and we care about that. We want to talk about that and go to scripture on that. And there's, there is, and I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there is so much debate and controversy over gender discrimination and gender distinctions. And it's such a hot topic and it's, and it's in the church and it's divisive and we've lost members because of this, on both sides of the aisle, because we're not letting women do enough, and we're not, and we're doing too much with women. So we just, it, it's it's a divisive issue. It's a people leave because of it. it's a hurtful issue, and we want to to hopefully go to God's word to find truth and to find healing and to find unity um, around God's word. And, and it's just really important is, is we go to the scripture. It's not, well, what's the trendy thing in culture? That's not our objective is to, to follow the current trends in culture. If we do that, we'll turn out to be something very different than what God intends for us to be. We want to be aware of culture and bring the gospel into the culture without compromising the truths you've given us. Now, one of the things that we want to, want to clarify, um, this, this, this is not a discussion on equality. And, and I don't even know that I need to state that, but sometimes you want to make sure. So, so that's just not really the point at all. That that's, needs to be an assumption, a, a given, understood thing, although it's not necessarily. And there are women who sometimes feel, yeah, you say it's not, but it sure doesn't feel like it's equal. But the, the equality of men and women is, is it's one of those creation principles that was established in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them all of us men and women are, are, are image bearers of God equal before God and so um, and that's the principle in the New Testament in Galatians three twenty three. there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is male and female. There, and, oh, wait a minute, I, don't, I didn't put that in there correctly. Nor is there male and female. And you might go, oh, wait a minute, there is male and female. Yes, there are, there are differences. But he says, in Christ, there's a oneness, there's a unity. And so this has got nothing to do with superiority versus inferiority, or it has nothing to do with equality. I'm, I'm, I believe it's more about function and role because of our distinctions. And we'll see that as we go before. And then another passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, which is quite interesting. And, and I didn't have it in my original set of notes. Um, we, we may just look at it more in depth later. It's in 1 Peter 3 because it's, it's a quite um, 
quite direct passage about men and women in their relationships, but it's not about the assembly as, as, as we're talking about here. But there he says, men and women together are co-heirs, co-heirs with the gracious gift of life. So it's not like um, in my family a couple of generations back where um, my grandmother's bro- brother, Uncle J.D., Uncle J.D. was the oldest son in the family. And so when mom and dad died, Uncle J.D. got pretty much everything. And Granny and her aunt, my Aunt Louise, her sister, they got these little tracks or whatever of property, four or five acres. But Uncle J.D., he's the firstborn son. So there wasn't really the co-heir going on much at all. He got the monster farm on the Duck River and he got the, prop, the, big, the big family home. Not, not in Christ. Men and women, firstborn or whatever born, we are all co-heirs. So there's an equality there. And so that's really, really clear in Scripture. It's clear in the history of the church. Just look at it. It's clear in, in the histories of churches in, in, in our day and time, too. I think there'd be a lot of churches that wouldn't exist if it weren't for the women in those churches. Um, because I just, you know that. It's like we need more men to step up and take their, their role. And, uh, but there are women who... Uh, who aren't going to stand by and watch something just not happen. And so there's some churches that are still going because there are women in those churches. And I just wonder about Eastside. If we just pulled the women out from the past 50 years of our history, what would Eastside be? (laughs) Uh, Or would Eastside be? Women are incredibly valuable, incredibly gifted. And so this has got nothing to do with, with, with that they're not at all okay so that's just really clear but then I say that and then you go to these passages and go well it sure feels the opposite when you hear this stuff over here Eddie so that very passage in first Peter 3 where he says um we're co-heirs that's in the context where we're all equal we're all one together men and women and he says six verses earlier wives submit to your husbands and then he goes on to speaks of women as the weaker vessels. What in the world? I thought you just said we're all co-heirs. So there's there's a submit submission authority role of men and women. Women are, are distinct from men there as weaker vessels. And I wouldn't mind talking to you about that, not tonight. Uh, I have an illustration that helps me understand that. I use in weddings a lot. Um, but that doesn't sound very, very co-heir equal. And then you go to um, oh yeah, I was going to tell you this too. Remember I said this last week that the way that we do this is not that oh, at the end I'll say any questions. So you just jump in and make comments or questions along the way or you may never get a chance to, okay? Um, uh, just interrupt me if, if I don't stop. I will stop because um, I'll get confused in my notes likely and uh, ask you for help. It, but then also, so we got that First Peter 3, there's, there, we're co-heirs, we're equal, but then, wait a minute, there's the word authority and submission used in the relationship to men and women, so some way they're equal, but there's something different there, and women are described as a weaker vessels, men are to respect them, which is interesting, is that if you don't, then your prayers aren't going to be heard. So that's interesting. And then um, you go in the Old Testament, why, so if we're equal and we're, we're, there's no distinctions, then why is it only men can be priests? What's up with that? 
Why is it Jesus? Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Why is it Jesus? Um, if, if there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, why when he picked the 12 disciples did he only pick men? Why not women? He had a glorious opportunity to make a statement there. Did he make a statement? And then when we're picking elders, why, why are women not included in, in, in that? Or, um, and then we've got those, just the really, the hot ones that we're going to come to after we finish 1 Corinthians 11. Women should remain, verse 14 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law said, it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Does that not feel or sound like discrimination? Is that equality? Is that contradicting these other passages? How do you put all this together? And then 1 Timothy 2 does the same thing. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Um, so I hear women that hear this say, don't feel very equal. I feel like there's some discrimination even coming from these passages. Um, not all women feel that way. I just hear that from some. So what do we do about that? What do we do with these passages? Well, we can do one of three things or a little bit of each. I don't know. We could just say, that's all cultural. All that stuff about women this, women that, women this, that was because in that culture you need to understand. Is, is, that, is that the answer to it? Some say that's what it is. And remember I said earlier, then why does he go way back across many cultures to creation to make his appeals? Um, secondly, some, some will say, and believe this or not, this is true, this is said. Well, and, and this, is, this is like Bible people, well, I don't know if they're really Bible people, but people in the field of scholarly theology will say, well, what you got going on there is Paul just pulled away from inspiration and, and speaking from God, and he's just speaking from, this is just Paul. And Paul's got some male chauvinistic tendencies. That's what we got going on here with Paul, which, well, Paul wrote quite a few letters in the New Testament. <laughs> so how convenient, isn't it, when you're not when you don't like something? Yeah, that's not inspired. That's just Paul saying that. But people do go that direction, uh, and that's a growing trend. You need to be aware of that in the discussion of homosexuality. The comment is. That's the Apostle Paul, not Jesus. And so, wow, now we back way up and we just talk about inspiration of Scripture, period, and its authority. <laughs> um, or is it that we have misinterpreted? Is it culture? Is it Paul's not speaking on inspiration? He's pulled away from this? Or have we misunderstood these passages? And so, I'm here to explain them. <laughs> Uh, or we're here to oh, say, God, what, 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 what is he, he's having said, figure it out. He's given us his word. And I wonder if it's that complicated or if it's sometimes we're not too pleased with what we see. And so it's odd, it's complicated. Maybe it's not. Maybe we just don't like what it says. And that's why it's complicated. Sometimes I think that's true for me. Um, our objective is to just to go back to scripture and look and look at scripture. So we're going to, and in the midst of that, in the midst of that, our greater objective is to be loving, kind, and gracious to one another in this. That's like so, because there's so much division and arguing and fighting in the world over these matters, and it, and it creeps in the church. I was texting or emailing back and forth with, with Alan Thomas 
And Jeff? And so, so Jeff is saying, as we do this, it's really important to, to go back and, and do some, some real basic, fundamental tools of biblical interpretation. Um, who's the author? Who are the recipients? When was this, when was this written? Uh, where was this written? What was the culture of that day? Um, and so, so we, um, yeah, as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 11, we've been kind of working in that direction yeah, but yeah, that's, that's incredibly important. Yeah, so that's even a further back thing is how do you read the Bible? Very good point. Um, so we're going to look at those passages. Um, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, and maybe go back to Genesis some more. But we're in 1 Corinthians 11 right now. And I, wanna, I wanted to start there because I, really I really believe there's something here. That, that helps me better understand and interpret these two difficult ones over here. On one point over here, First Corinthians 14, be silent. First Timothy 2, be silent, don't teach. But then First Corinthians 11 seems to contradict that. It doesn't, but it seems to. But if you understand it, it sheds light on those. So that's why we're starting there. So we're in First Corinthians, and so Paul is likely uh, in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter to the Corinthian uh, church. He on uh, one of his missionary journeys went there, helped to establish that church. But he's not one of these kind of missionaries that does, and there's a lot of them that do this. They make a big splash, and then they leave, and they, they, they look back on all that they ever did, but they never follow up with those people. That's not good mission work. And Paul stuck with those people, and so he's writing them. He wrote them a letter, and it was a response to a letter that was written to him about, Paul, we got these problems in the church. And they wrote all these different problems. So Paul is responding through this letter to those problems. We've talked about that. I'm repeating myself now. And I'm thinking that those people, probably the ones who delivered that letter, were from the house of Chloe. Because from the house of Chloe, there were some who even told Paul more than that letter. And so he's responding back to that. And so the whole First Corinthians is basically dealing with, it's not, well, I think I'll write on these topics. So for, no, he's dealing with some problems they were having. Understand those problems, you better understand how he's addressing them, um, which is getting back to Jeff's principles of interpretation. Um, and so a lot of division, a lot of disagreement, a lot of arrogance, a lot of pride, a lot of immorality in, in the church in Corinth. And one of those issues that he comes to, the one that takes up most of his space, I guess you could say in 1 Corinthians, is chapters 11 through 14. This is the larger context. It's on, you might call it worship wars. What happens in, in the church assembly, which is just terribly sad that some, a moment that is to be sacred and holy and God-honoring and God-exalting and encouraging. It's where we have the biggest struggles to division so often in fighting among Christians is what we do when we're here together. And uh, they had all kinds of issues in the church in Corinth in their assemblies. My stars, there were so many. I mean, in chapter 11 here, one of those is what women were doing and they shouldn't have been doing it the way they were doing it. So he has to address that. That's our passage. Um, even though I read it twice before, I just it, it, I think it's wise for me to read it again. I'll, I'll say what we 
already talked about there, and then I'll open it up for discussion of um, a principle that he states and then a principle that he applies. That's really what we're going to focus on tonight. But let's, let's just read this again. Let me pray. <clears throat> Chapter 11, verse 2. Father, we, we thank you so much, as I was saying earlier, that you didn't just create us and drop us on the earth to figure life out, but you have given us the uh, enlightenment of your revelation of Scripture, and we so appreciate that. And Father, we come back to you again and again to be guided by the wisdom of your word, and we confess that we stray away from that. It's a tendency that we have, and we pray that you would speak to us and guide us through what, what for me at least, is, is a complicated passage, but I believe has some principles that are important for us. Help us to, to hear what, what is it that you have to say for us that's relevant to our personal lives and to the life of our church body here? In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 11, verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. <clears throat> But I want you to realize, and this is what we're really going to talk about tonight, verse 3. So take a, take a look at this. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesied with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off of her head shaved, cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Now this is where I got confused last time. <laughs> Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman for as woman came from man so also man is born of woman but everything comes from God judge for yourselves is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair it is a disgrace to him but if a man has but if a woman has long hair it is her glory for long hair is given to her as a covering if anyone wants to be contentious about this and that it Makes you think somebody probably was. Um, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, so for discussion two weeks ago, we spent some time working on what was the problem. And we went back and forth and worked through it, but there was, a, there was some contentious activity and behavior there surrounding the fact that there were women in the church in Corinth who were praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. That was the problem. And so um, what we did last week is we spent the whole Wednesday because we're uh, talking about prophecy because in our church heritage there hasn't, I don't know what your experience is, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about prophecy. And so we, we defined prophecy. We looked at prophecy in scripture and what it is and then we just spent a lot of time now who were female prophets or prophetesses. Most writers don't use the word prophetesses. I'm not even sure if that's correct for me to use it, but anyway. Um, so we looked at a whole bunch of them 
and they're all over the place. Um, and so basically, we reached these conclusions that in the Bible, established by God, ordained by God, gifted by God, there were men and women prophets. That's just clear. And to prophesy means to speak to others, including men and women, based upon what we saw the definition of prophecy is and what we saw the examples of prophecy are. They're, they're speak to others a message from God as guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we saw multiple examples of female prophetesses doing that. And we looked in, what was it? 1 Corinthians 14, that the purpose of prophecy, he says, and I'm quoting, I'm not saying my thoughts, to speak to men and women in the church for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. To edify the church. To give a message from God. Women were doing this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament church. And so that's what women were doing. And not only that, but they were also praying in the church in Corinth. And so um, that's a tough pill to swallow. But that's really not complicated to see in Scripture. That was what we see. Now, the problem, though, wasn't that the women were praying and prophesying. The problem was that they were praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. And so when Paul then moves on, after we identify the problem, to, to correct it, he doesn't tell them to stop praying or stop prophesying. He doesn't say you need to stop that because you know women are supposed to be silent. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy, he doesn't do that. You expect him to because you know those verses well. He doesn't tell them to stop it. He says, if you're going to do it, here's the way to do it properly. Okay? We talked about that last week. I stopped because some of you weren't here last week and you're welcome to jump in. Um, so the problem wasn't that there were women speaking as the church was gathered, and then when, as I was telling Scott earlier, we're going to also discuss, probably next time, wait a minute, is this talking about the church gathered? I believe it is, but we'll talk about that. Um, but, but the problem wasn't that they were speaking, it was simply how they were doing it, okay? So evidently, there's a right way for women to do it, and there's a wrong way for women to do it. The wrong way is where their head's covered, uncovered, which... What, what's that about? We're going to try to figure that out tonight. Um, so I, I guess, kind of jump to a conclusion. We're not going to, we're going to come back to where I am, but I guess the point I want to make from that that's really, I believe, relevant and applicable to us today, I'm not convinced we should be so troubled that if in this gathering, in our worship assembly, that a woman speaks and words come from her mouth in some way whether it be praying whether it be a, a, a message or a prophecy as we see here um, that, that's what we see in the New Testament church that's we would say our pattern women were gifted by that led and instructed by God how to do so but evidently there's a place where it becomes wrong there's a there's a time when you cross the lines. Oh, now, not like that. So when does it become wrong? Scripture shows us, at least I'm aware of in the New Testament, three times. 
1 Corinthians 14, we're going to go there. 1 Timothy 2, we're going to go there. 1 Corinthians 11. It becomes wrong if they don't wear a head covering. So if you're going to do it, wear a head covering. Um, that's not the same word as hat. Okay, so it's a totally different Greek word for that. So we're not talking about women being convinced to wear hats. So getting ready to open it up for discussion. Sorry, I'm kind of setting the stage here. So if you're going to pray or prophesy, I need you to wear head coverings. That's going to solve this. And so before he tells them that, he states the principle. Here's the principle. And based on that principle, here's how we're going to apply that with the head covering. The principle, the first principle, he's got actually multiple, but this is like the big one, I think, in 1 Corinthians 11.3. Oops, let me turn that off. My bad. Well, thank you, Betty. For that birthday greeting that I got one day ago that I got again just now. On Facebook Messenger just came in. What is the principle? He's getting ready to say, you need to put head coverings on women. Why? Well, here's why. Verse 3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. I've gotten a lot of questions about that. I had somebody send me an email, a text message who can't come to class about an hour ago asking me about what that means, especially because they've got two translations that aren't exactly the same. They were curious about it. But I've had some of you say, what do you do about that head thing? Um, So the word head in this passage in verses 2 through 16, it comes up nine times. There's not different words for head. It's all the same word. So if you're wondering, it's the same word every time. Um, Sometimes it's used literal. Sometimes it's figurative. It's metaphorical. Biblically speaking, what does he mean by that? Verse 3, the head. When we say, when we say, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, the head of Christ is God. What, what do we mean by head and possibly what are other passages that shed light on that? Carl? What kind of relationship did Jesus, Son, Father, and the Holy Spirit have? This headness, he uses them as illustrations. So whatever it means for a, a man to be the head of a woman... Is, 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 is it drawn from what it means for God the Father to be the head of Christ? Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's, using he's using that as an illustration. It's like this with a man and woman as it is with Christ and God. Okay? That's a good start because that's leaving it general, but you're kind of getting what's clear. What do we do about head? What do we know about head in Scripture? Or what are, what are some... Are those of you that have studied this topic, what are some... Um, Understandings. Where, where do we go with that, Diane? Well, when, when Christ said, not my will, but your will be done, I think that put Christ under the headship of God. So Christ, when he said, not my will, but yours be done, Christ took a subordinate role to the Father while on the earth. Am I, okay. I, I'm repeating you so that it can be here and so that Jordan and Georgia can hear you back there. And Sean, way over there. Thanks a lot, Eddie. You weren't supposed to draw attention to me. <laughs> it's a good friend of mine back there. Um, 
Head, head, come on, help me with this. How do we understand that? And, and why, why is there a question about it? Some of you are going, is this not obvious, Eddie? Uh, not for some. Or maybe they don't want it to be obvious. Rachel? Ephesians 5.23. And what comes before that? Okay, so, 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 he's, so it's a very similar parallel point there. In 1 Corinthians 11, you got man's ahead of woman in 1 Corinthians 11 in the same way that God the Father is ahead of Christ. And so then he's kind of drawing a parallel in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Whatever that means, that's what it means in the relationship of man to woman. Now, is that talking about authority? In that passage, right before it, it's in the topic of submission. And we understand submission is placing yourself under someone. Okay? So if we, can, if, we, if we use that verse, we're interpreting head as meaning what? Authority. Authority. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's not a tyranny. This is a, this is a dying for you. Leadership, servant, love. Yeah. Oh, incredibly important. Incredibly important point. Jeff? What about origin? So that's the second, second understanding. The, 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 let's come to that. But the, the most obvious we haven't mentioned yet is just the head. Okay? The, this thing. This physical, literal cranium thing sitting up here, that's the most used uh, uh, interpretation, understanding from Genesis to Revelation of the word head. is just talking about your literal head. And as a matter of fact, he does that here. So there's a literal interpretation of head that's used, but there's a figurative interpretation. Authority or origin. Okay, tell me about that. Where are the headwaters? What are the, what are the headwaters of the river? What do you mean by that? So could head be origin or source, like the word headwaters, okay? Um, so where are verses, um, are, there other, are there verses in the Bible that we would go to that supports that? That say, oh yeah, the word head is used as origin or source in these places also. Where would they be? Carl? Is there, is there authoritative structure there between the Father and the Son? Somewhat. But driven by love. But in the relationship of Christ and God, does, does, is that a matter of superiority and inferiority or, or change in equality? No. 
So I and the Father are one, and so so to consider this to be a head as authority of, of the, how does he word it? The head of Christ is God. It's not Christ is not equal with God, is inferior to God, but it is. There, if we go with the authoritative sense, it would be there's a subordinated role that the Son took to the Father. But now if we go with the origin thing, we could say that Christ came from God. We could say that. We could say that woman came from man because came from the side of man. And we could say that um, man came from Christ because Christ created all. We could say that. Um, now, where are we getting that from? Where are we getting the word origin from? Where, 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 are, we, where are we finding that from? Are there other verses? Oh, yeah, there's many verses that when you see the word head, it's talking about origin and source. And the reason I ask that, because often those who will, and I'm not saying Jeff's doing that, those who will go to the source, head being the source, are those who are trying to keep this from being about authority. Because if it's about authority, then it's placing men over women in authority and we don't want to go there so let's call it source okay let's call it source and origin where do we get that where other than we got the word headwaters where does that come okay he was the head of the Jewish nation so he was the origin okay the, the reason I'm asking is because I couldn't really find a verse that clearly lays that out and I've got a book, as a matter of fact, Phil, that book you mentioned, I don't have that one. I don't have Paul through the eyes of the Mediterranean or whatever. I have Jesus through the eyes of the Middle Eastern. So I got that book and I read that chapter. And uh, he, he goes completely, not authority, but he goes completely, I understood him to go with origin and source, his head. And he quotes one verse and only. He, and so I was not really impressed, but it's a good book, good writer. I like it. Um, Psalm 111.10 in Hebrew, the fear of the Lord is the head, literally, of wisdom, meaning the beginning, the source of wisdom. And that's the verse he quotes. Um, here's what I thought was really interesting. I, I, I reached down from my bookcase behind me, and I grabbed down two lexicons. A lexicon would be, be a, the dictionary for Greek words, and looked up kephale. That's the word used nine times here. And then I went on to, online to uh, a lexicon that I use a lot online, those three, which are three of the top ones, say nothing about origin and source. I thought that was interesting. I'm not denying origin and source being a possibility, but it's just interesting. None of them, maybe there's other good lexicons that do. None of them did. They all talked about head being authority, rule, oversight, leading, uh, even like master, ruler type words. So when I go to the dictionary to try to find it, I don't see origin and source anywhere. That's why I was asking, where are we getting that from? Um, um, so where else is head? Where else is head used in the New Testament? How is it used? So we got we got who? Um, uh, Rachel brought up one in Ephesians five. Where else, Rachel? Okay, Colossians chapter one. Go ahead. In, okay, verse Colossians 1, what did you say? 15 and following, okay. Okay. 
Okay, slow down. He is the, here we go, there's that word head. I mean, he is supreme. He is exalted. This is a beautiful passage. Okay, so there's source and creator there, but keep reading. And keep, finish that. He's the firstborn among the dead and finish that verse out. Supremacy. So that everything he might have supremacy. I'm thinking if we do anything with source, there's possibility there. Because everything comes from him. But he, so you, you almost feel source and authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, it, it, so I think I, it looks like both of those are at play, doesn't it? When, when, when I asked that question to myself, where explicitly does it state it? And then I, I looked at that passage of headship in, in, in a Colossians, and it sure, that context sure seems to imply that. So that's a good one. And actually, you quoted a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 about just as Christ is the head of the church, man is the head of the wife. In Ephesians chapter 1 is also, uh, Scott, read that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Yeah, um, I'll read that again too. I'm sorry, it's too much to pass the mic around. And God, verse 22, placed all things, look at, listen to this language, under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything but then so that sounds really like head authority doesn't it over under but then listen to the next verse which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way so kind of maybe source or origins in there um so so what does head mean biblically speaking how do we understand that Yes? Talking about the source, okay. Deuteronomy 9, 19, 5. A head of an axe. Verse 3. Uh, how does Jesus in his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how do you see his relationship to women as he is the head of them? He is surely the head of women as men are. He's a man. Uh, does that mean he's an authority over man and woman? Well, they recognized him. They honored him. They saw who he was and so forth. So you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the headship of Jesus and his authority. And his love. No, and his love. And his yeah, love. driven by love, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point, that head of a company, that's the boss. Head of the church, that's the boss. But when I go to those lexicons, that's the boss. 
Roswell. Uh-huh. Okay, good point. So he sees it more as a responsibility and accountability, not a, not I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so then here's where I went too. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking where this word head is used, and there's some explicit usages of it in, in, in proclaiming Christ's authority. Um, and then when I look at the role of men and women. There's passages in they're speaking about the relationship of men and women that use the word authority and submission in a relationship of man and woman. So those are there, and I'm not making that up. Uh, in First Peter three, one through seven, wives submit yourselves in the same way as Christ did to the authority um, to your husbands. So in the relationship of man and woman. It's talking about man is the head of woman. When you look at other passages that speak of men and women, it does speak about submission and authority. Whatever that means, it uses that terminology. That's terminology of wanting authority, one in subjection to that authority. Um, Second Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2, that passage I read before, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So a woman, there's a call to submission. Um, she's not to teach or assume authority over man. So a man has authority, a woman's in submission. So you see passages like that. Like it or not, I'm not, I'm not making those up. I'm just reading those. And so when I go to 1 Corinthians 11 and I see that word head, it's hard for me not, for me personally, okay, I can see source and origin possibly, but it's hard for me not to, to hear something about order and authority there. If you look at it just in a physical standpoint, if your head is cut off, your body cannot function. If your head is cut off, your body cannot function. So the head controls. So that that's more source than yeah, that's where the life yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um so then here, here's another thing. As so we look here in First Corinthians chapter eleven, there are three points. The head of every man is Christ, the head of Christ is God, and um the head of woman, is, well, no, I'm not saying that in the right order. Let me, there's three points he makes. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. And so the middle one, the head of woman is man. We're, we're troubled by that one. But whatever that one means is based upon what the first, the, the one and three mean. Do you understand that? We can't conclude that whatever it means from man, woman to man Whatever it means. So what does it mean that the head of every man is Christ? Is there some level of authority there? Source, sure. Is there something like Bob? Okay, he's going to break it down more simplistically. That's wonderful. If they were usurping authority, what authority were they usurping? Women were not submitting to the leadership of 
He didn't tell him not to speak. But he says, if you're going to speak, do so in a way that, finish the sentence. That what? That's respectful. Do so in a way that is appropriate. That edifies. Is that what you said? That, that Steve? Decently in order. Now we're in chapter 14. Jeff? So, so now we're getting into the culture, but he's not saying you shouldn't be talking in church. He's saying if you're going to, you need to do so in a way that understands. Can I say this divine structure, this divine order? And you need to show respect to that. And when you take that covering off, you're not. You're disregarding that. Am I right? So, so it's not that they're speaking, it's the manner in which they're speaking. Benita? I also think it's important to say that you respect that there is a difference between men and women. Yeah, and, and you respect that there's a difference between men and women, and you're carrying yourself in such a way that shows that distinction. And that's okay. <laughs> men and women are different, and that's really okay. Isn't that crazy if you have to say that in our day? It's really okay. Um, Tonya? I, 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 maybe it's my hearing, but ever since I, I, for about three months, my ears have been ringing, so I have to walk up closer to you like one of these television talk show hosts. When you turn 60, thank you. And so it begins. So, so the jokes begin. Yeah. <laughs> Day one. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's connected, but in Matthew 5.36. In Matthew 5.36. Don't know if it's connected, but. swearing by their head. Swearing by their head. Yeah, do you, you swear him by your head? You're swearing by God, don't do that. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that passage. Um, so, so you're hearing this. Okay, look, I, I'm not saying it's wrong for women to speak, whether it be praying or prophesying, but if, if they are disregarding this divine order of God and Christ and man and woman and saying, forget that. And they're behaving in a way that does not respect that and regard that, then that's wrong. Is that, am I right by saying that's wrong? <laughs> now, so therefore, therefore, that's the principle stated. There's this order. There's this, there's, and, and this is, I think, creation. The principle applied is you need to wear a head covering. Well, that, that's foreign to us. So what, what, what do you guys, have y'all done some work on this? What do we do? What, what is it about the covering? What do we know about that? God told them they're supposed to wear hats. Okay, that's that's one alternative. Okay. Verse two. 
So we have three cultures here, and he's calling them to maintain the traditions in verse 2. It's the way he starts out. So I want you to maintain some traditions, Jewish traditions, Greek traditions, and, and Christianity is here. So we're, we're blending three traditions together, Christian tradition, Jewish tradition, and Greco-Roman, I guess we'd say traditions. So what, what, what are the traditions with head coverings in those? Do we know that? So... If you don't have a, in, in what setting? If you don't have a head covering on a woman, you're a prostitute? In the, in, in the culture of that time, in the city of Corinth, you take off that head covering, you're presenting yourself as a prostitute. Okay, and then was it you that said in the, in the temple of Aphrodite, in these uh, pagan temples, there were prophetesses? Um, priestesses and they were prostitutes now they shaved their heads so you'd shave your head like that or are the women on the streets who because the women on the streets they have their head uncovered they're trying to draw business by attraction right and so in the church you've got women doing that well that could be distracting have you ever been in this assembly and had women here that are that's, that's kind of hard for me to worship right now could, could that be what was going on there? There was a hand back here. Shaved head is a sign of disgrace. Why? It shows their disgrace. Okay. Um, oh, my goodness. This is not as far as I planned on going. Um, so so in, in, in their culture, in their culture, um, yes, prostitutes didn't cover their heads. Prostitutes in the temple shaved their heads. In the Jewish culture, what did women do? Oh, they covered their heads. And why? Why did women in the Jewish culture back then cover their heads? Because they didn't like the way their hair looked that morning. How convenient. No, I didn't. Just put something over your head. Like guys do that. We put on a baseball cap. Who cares? Nobody can tell anymore. I bet Jordan's hair is really messy. And look what he just put on a little cap there. There was somebody said something so quietly I missed it. To show honor. Oh, the, oh well, it came from over there. And I looked at um, to, to show honor to, to the system. Yeah, yeah, to, to, and to this whole thing that was just laid out, yeah. Verse 10. So a woman ought to have a sign because of, because of this and because of the angels. What? Oh, okay, woman ought to have authority over her head. What were you going to say then? So it would be wrong for them to shave their head or the equivalent to that be uncover their head. Because he's saying, if you uncover your head, well, I think in verse 6 he says, you might as well just shave it off. Shave it off here. That, that's disgraceful. This is disgraceful. It's the same thing. You might as well do that. And the angels, what do you do with the angels? Let's, do we know? What's the angels have to do with it? Okay, I'll just tell you, most scholars and writers say, I don't know. I've got an idea and I'll guess at it, but it's, it's complicated. It's kind of, angels, are you going to answer that? 
Oh, he's appealing to nature. Yeah. So did angels in heaven, we're trying to figure out what the angels are doing. Did angels usurp their authority in heaven and see what happened then? Because of the angels, you don't want that to happen to you. I mean, is that it? I, I, I think about... I think about there's this order here that three, chapter verse 3 gives us. God, Christ, man, woman. And do angels belong in there somewhere? When at Hebrews chapter 1, Christ was set above the angels. And then when Christ came to earth, he made himself lower than the angels. So there's that ranking structure. So in this order of earthly and heavenly beings... Even angels are a part of that, perhaps. I'm guessing that might be what he means there. But when you come to the assembly, you take that into consideration and you behave in such a way that respects and honors that. And I'm sorry, women, but the way you're doing that is not doing that. I'm not telling you not to speak, but if you're going to speak, you need to do so. Am I correct? In a way that shows respect to this order that's placed before us with men and women and God and Christ. Is that right? So, I, th I think so. Um, uh, there's much more. So, well, what about here? Uh, Richard? The veil had something to do with modesty in the Jewish culture. It, yes. symbol of modesty. It was, I think for the Jewish people, I, I agree with Benito, it was a symbol of honor, it was a symbol of modesty, and it was a symbol of submission. That's basically what we see in Jewish culture. It was a symbol of submission to the authority. I, this is my husband. It's a symbol of modesty. I'm not trying to attract anybody else because I've got someone, and it's showing that. Um, that was in the Jewish culture. So for the Jewish Christians to see this, in fact, my star is, what, what are you doing? For the, for the converted Gentiles to see this, did their minds go to the temples? Prostitutes are the prostitutes on the streets. And how in the world am I going to receive this message from God when you're delivering it in such a manner that's inappropriate? So we got to end it in one minute. And therefore, that has practical application and relevance to us today. Help me with that. Okay? What does that mean in here and with us? Because... Do y'all need to come with head coverings or what? Uh, Kay and then Jeff. Didn't relate to that? Okay. Jeff. She better not wear a short skirt and a fishnet hose because in our culture that communicates... Communication is from the 60s. 
<laughs> it communicates, Jeff. Is, is, is there a way that we see someone like a woman in a speaking role and we can tell the difference between humility and submission or I don't care what I'm, I'm doing, what I'm free to do whatever I want. Uh, Mark? Everything we do in worship should be done with respect. Not only respect to others, but in respect to God. So the problem was not... So our problem was not with these women speaking in the assembly. It was how they were doing it in a manner that was disrespectful and disregarding God, Christ, man, and these relational roles. So however women participate in assembly, that's got to be at play there. And it was really interesting that, that right before this, in chapter 10, is the same problem that's different though it's about food offered to idols I don't care what they think I'm going to do what I want and it, and it was hurting people and so that same principle is carried on Benita and then we're going to have to close Yeah, we got this multicultural gathering, and so what's important to you culturally and offensive to you culturally is different. And, and so how do, how do we do that? Yeah, and, how, and, and what, what is our culture? But is there a general Colorado Springs culture that communicates these things? How can you tell them? I have to close, but you had your hand up. Yes, I, I'm sure he meant that. He did mean not to dress like a prostitute. Because, it, because then the focus is on how you dress. But then Benita, when we go to Zambia, we have to wear skirts. And there's a way that women have to act in Zambia that's different from the way we can act. So this, this could be very different in application in Zambia than here to America. I always remember, I always remember Van Tate, a missionary to somewhere in Africa. And he told the story of these missionaries went down, and we can't have women coming to church without their shirts on. So they gave all the women shirts, because women wear shirts to church. They came back the next week with holes cut out of their shirts. <laughs> is, is that cultural? Oh, we need to pray. I've, I've got to go get my booster shot. <laughs> Father, we didn't finish this, but I've got a feeling for the rest of our lives we will still be digging and mining through the beautiful treasures of your word but we do pray that you will guide us to to behave ourselves in such a way together with one another in marriage and in the church family in such a way that it respects and regards those with whom we're in relationship with hey i'm eddie white the senior minister for the east side church of christ Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.